0: oftentimes when we go into the reservations the the greatest challenge we have is overcoming the damage that has been done by other christians you know a crazy horse had said that this jesus that the christians talk about he seems like a good man why don't they follow his teachings
1: This is First Person. Welcome to this week's program, exploring the lives of people who have committed their life to Jesus Christ. I'm Wayne Shepherd, and my guest this week is Charles Robinson of The Red Road, a ministry formed to teach us about Native American culture. We'll meet Charles in just a few moments. This program, First Person, is designed to encourage all of us to see the plan God has for our life by hearing the stories of other people. And you can follow us online at FirstPersonInterview.com. At the website, you can listen to any program in the audio archive, including today's, learn more about today's guest, and see the schedule of what's coming up in the weeks ahead. That's FirstPersonInterview.com. And you can also have the podcast of First Person delivered automatically to your device when you subscribe on iTunes. Just search the podcast on iTunes for First Person with Wayne Shepherd." Today's guest, Charles Robinson, is concerned that we don't know as much as we should about Native American culture and how Christianity is the answer for his people as well as everyone else. Charles and I met near Nashville to talk about his life and ministry.
0: Well, I'm Choctaw from the Choctaw Nation of Oklahoma, but I grew up in Texas and kind of the Dallas-Fort Worth area. I did not grow up on a reservation um, but I grew up as a, as a young little native or Indian kid and, uh, just
1: desiring so much to understand and know more about our native people. Did you always remain in your culture or did you seek to kind of get away from it? What was your own circumstances?
0: Mine was a little different because I did not grow up in the culture. I wasn't viewed by outsiders as being a native kid. Uh, many thought because I was a little darker skinned that maybe I was Hispanic or maybe I was Italian. But in my heart, I always knew I was Indian, and I tried so hard to learn everything I could about our native culture. And so even as a little kid, I'd spend all my time reading books, anything having to do with Native Americans, Hmm. anything. Who were your heroes then? Oh, Sitting Bull, Geronimo, those guys. See, and that's one of the challenges with our native people today is that all of our heroes died over 100 years ago. Yeah. You know, and, and I have friends that ask me. Uh, you know, the within the African American community, you can look and you can find a Barack Obama or a Michael Jordan or a Ben Carlson. You can find different people of African American heritage to places, heroes or role models outside of your, even your own family. But in the Native communities, we don't really have that.
1: Hmm. What about your spiritual heritage? When when did you come to faith in Christ? I came to know Jesus through the Young Life
0: Ministry when I was 18. I grew up as a young kid uh, my, on my white side of my family. My grandmother uh, was very strong in the church down in Southeast Texas, and so when we'd go to visit her, we we're always she'd always take us to church with her, and I just loved going. But what happened was when my parents uh, divorced and we moved back into the, the Dallas Fort Worth area, and I got up. And for some reason, I'd always want to go to church. And we lived about two miles from this church, and I'd get up, and on Sunday mornings as a first and second grader, I would walk to church myself. And and I'd sit up there, and I didn't know anybody, and then after church, I'd walk home. And I remember sitting there one morning, and I had, uh, again, I'm this little you know native kid, long hair, and the pastor was speaking, and, and he said how it was a sin and an abomination for men, And young boys, and he looks right down at me to wear their hair long. And I got so embarrassed in that church. And I got up after the church as a second grader and walked the two miles back home. And I stopped going to church. Mm. I didn't go for a long time, not until I got into high school and some friends through the Young Life ministry began to love on me Mm -hmm. and really really had a relational
1: impact in my life. Mm-hmm. So what's your life journey been like? What, what do you do in life, Charles?
0: Uh, we have a nonprofit organization called The Red Road, and we go into Native
1: communities and share Jesus with our Native people in a culturally relevant, yet biblically sound way. For you, as a Native American, talk to me about integrating your faith with your culture.
0: Well, I would say this, most people will say that when you, um, traditionally, with the Native people... It says, when you come to know Jesus, you have to stop being Indian. But nobody ever goes to the German guy and says, hey, when you start following Jesus, you have to stop being German. No, Or the Irish person, you have to stop river dancing or whatever it is that you know you <laughs> might do if you're from Ireland. I don't know. So for us, what it means is just praying and asking God, what aspects of our culture can we hold on to? That might include a sweat lodge. Uh, dancing and powwows, which is really a celebration, it's not a ceremony at all. But to the outside world, who don't do not understand it, they do not understand the drums, the music, the dancing. They look at it because it's, uh, the, especially the the uh, Euro-American church, the Western church. They look and because it's totally unlike anything they've ever seen in a church setting. They assume it must be wrong. There must be some type of idol worship involved yeah, with they're it. They're
1: very uncomfortable with it, aren't exactly. they? Exactly.
0: Yeah. And, and so they, they dismiss it as being um, idolatry. And traditionally, they said that we have to stop doing all of those things if we want to begin to follow Jesus. And uh, what I have found is I pray and I ask God, and God is more than capable of convicting my heart through the Holy Spirit of things that I need to hold on to and things I need to let go of. And so that's how we minister. But even then, when we go into the reservations and share Jesus, it's very relational in context where we don't come in waving the Christian banner saying everybody, you know, and having the big tent revivals. Those things don't work on our native communities. What does work? Relationships. People need to know how much you care before they care how much, you know, and they want to, they want to sit down. and, And so when we go back to the same communities year after year after year, um every year we get we're better received because they know we're not just coming in uh and I don't mean to to speak uh, poorly of um of church groups that go to the reservations but when you go in and you spend a week painting a building or cleaning up a yard or a lot or or fixing up a home and you feed hot dogs and you share Jesus with the kids, and then you leave and there's no contact with the church again until the following year when you bring another youth group back.
1: That doesn't Um, do it, does it? It doesn't do it. Yeah. Do you find it's an uphill battle to teach the rest of us what it's really like and and how to effectively reach out to Native Americans?
0: It is. um, Prior to starting the Red Road and doing ministry on reservations, uh, I had taken some trips to South America and to Central America and to some islands on missions trips. And when I'd go and I'd try and raise money to go to South America, man, the money would come pouring in, right? Because they've seen all the, the videos on, 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 on TV. The mo- so the, they, the money come pouring in. But when I began to try and raise money to go take groups onto the reservations, it was, you know, there's so many stereotypes out there, you know, about, well, they're a bunch of drunk Indians. They got all this casino money. They have all this. And so we were, it was very difficult. To We've written them money. off. That's right.
1: That's that's the response you feel that people give. Exactly, yes, sir. So, what do you do to overcome that? What do you do? You get angry about that? How do you handle that? No longer I do I get angry. It's it's
0: disappointing at times, but I don't get angry about it because I know that God is going to, he, he's going to, he's going to to make our path for us, and we just need to be obedient and go where He says to go and do what He says to do. Um, and when people, uh, I, I realize that if people don't quite get it, um, it's it's really because they haven't learned, they haven't been educated. So the, it's my responsibility to help educate people on what the, what the reality of it is. And that's where we spend much of our time, no longer getting angry at, at people for not buying into it and understanding it, because it, it's, it's kind of out of sight, out of mind for many.
1: Mm-hmm. Do people respond? Do you, do you get a good response when you explain and and teach, uh, and, yeah. p- and the light bulb goes off. I well, mean, that's
0: what it is, because most people say, well, I didn't learn about any of this stuff in, in school growing up. I didn't learn about, the really, the reservation system, the residential schools. I didn't learn about all of these things in Native American history here in the States and in Canada. Why, why was I not taught these things? Um, the, and when they understand some of the damage that the church has done on our reservations, they say, well, I never knew those things. Hmm. Why weren't, why weren't we taught these things?
1: What What's the general attitude of Native Americans looking at the culture at large? And do they feel like a uh, minority that's oppressed? Oh, yeah. And and
0: especially in the border towns around the reservations is where we find the greatest racism. I mean, it it exists. Here in Middle Tennessee, where my family and I live, it's a little different. We're more of a novelty here. So people embrace us. Although I will say this, many people when they first all see my wife because she's darker skinned than I am, when they see her and they think she is Hispanic, they follow her through the stores. The uh, that we've experienced that in oh, some of they the, don't
1: trust her, right? Yeah.
0: But then when people find out in the community, when people find out we're native, man, they embrace us and they want to come be a part of us and have us over for dinner and them to our house for dinner.
1: But that's not typical in other parts of the country. No, 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 not at all. Hmm. So how, how do they respond? Do they just give up? Uh, yeah we kind of kind of keep to yourselves
0: there's such a distrust for especially white people on especially the border towns around the reservations and we've experienced racism uh even ourselves um in those, in those communities, been pulled over by a policeman one time and, and just given the, the third degree and asked me if I had any uh, a warrant for my arrest or any drugs in the van. If I, then he asked me if I smoked, had any peyote with me because I know those in, Indians oftentimes will smoke peyote. He
1: actually asked, asked that me question. that
0: question. Yes. Sturgis, South Dakota, this guy, this cop pulls me over and asked me these things. And so uh, I, I let him know that I never had an illegal drug in my body. And, uh, and he ended up letting us go without a ticket because he had no reason to pull me
1: over. There's more we need to learn about ministry to Native Americans, and we'll do that in the second half today with Charles Robinson. On my recent trip to Russia, I was able to meet with a young leader named Boris Volkov, who is the director of the School Without Walls, part of Peter Dynika Russian Ministries. Boris is one of those young next generation leaders who's spending his life encouraging and training men and women who are the future of the church in the countries of the former Soviet Union. The School Without Walls is effectively doing the job of making disciples. I hope you'll take time to learn more by clicking on the Russian Ministries banner at FirstPersonInterview.com. My guest today, Charles Robinson. Charles is Native American. I guess that's okay, Native American. That's Sometimes right. you hear First Nation, Charles. Is, is that okay terminology as well? It
0: is. That's um, the more accepted
1: term up in Canada, mm-hmm. but in the States, Native American is the most accepted term. You started the Red Road, theredroad.org, and we'll give that on our website for first person as well. But tell me about the Red Road. What, what does that mean?
0: Well, the, the the phrase, the Red Road, is one that Native people will recognize all throughout North America, And it really means to live life in a traditional red man's way—a good way, a healthy lifestyle where you're, where you're addiction-free, where you love yourself, respect yourself, respect others, respect all of creation, but a worship of the Creator. So, native people throughout North America will recognize that term, even though they may not be uh, believe that Jesus is the Son of God, they'll recognize that term as a healthy lifestyle, okay, healthy way to live. So they're
1: attracted to that message,
0: right? But to my wife and I, because we're followers of Jesus that red road also represents the bloodstained road
1: that led Jesus to the cross. So the red road is both educational in teaching the church how to minister in the Native American community, and it also is evangelistic in a sense too then That's for Native American. You do both, don't you?
0: That's true, we do. And you know, and, and uh, oftentimes when we go into the reservations, the, the greatest challenge we have is overcoming the damage that has been done by other Christians. Hmm. You know, a crazy horse, a great Lakota leader, one time said that this Jesus that the Christians talk about, he seems like a good man. Why don't they follow his teachings? Oh, wow. And so you've got, so what you have is is all this damage that has been done to native
1: people in the name of the church or Christianity. Help us get a handle on that. I, I mean, it's a dark chapter, but help us understand. It's still going on, isn't it? It, it? it
0: is. Essentially back in the 1800s, um, the government began to, have these boarding schools, and up in Canada, they call them residential schools. And the Native children were required, were forced to go to these schools uh, for months out of the year. And with the goal being to assimilate them, teach them reading, writing, arithmetic, all these things, hopefully they get assimilated into this Euro-American educational system, and then they will uh, become of age and they'll move to the bigger cities and leave the reservations and just become an... uh, integral part of society. the A few of the, the problems with that, one is that they didn't take into account the tie that Native people had to our culture and our land and our people, that we can't just up and leave them like they did in Europe. They just up and leave England and come across the sea. That's
1: displacements, what that is. It is. Yeah.
0: And so they didn't understand that. Uh, secondly, there was great amounts of abuse physical, sexual, emotional, uh, psychological abuse to these children. And so these children grow up being abused all these different ways away from their families. Then they get of age, they leave, they go back to their communities, they get married, their children go through this same boarding school system. Uh, And many of these boarding schools, while they were funded by the government, most were run by various churches. And so it was just cycle of abuse generation after generation that in America, we know very little about. It's not really m- detailed in our history books so much. So when you have all this dysfunction, this, and, and, and now what we know about sexual predators today is that so many of them were abused as children, right? And so what we have is, is after all these generations, five, six, seven generations of this happening and, uh, our kids are growing up, uh, in, in our own communities now where the kids are abused. And that's why they say conservatively six or seven out of 10 of the people on the reservations have been sexually abused because it's this cycle. And, uh, but the other thing about these residential school system that was so poor is that even had that been a healthy lifestyle, Even had they really fed the kids well and really took care of them, loved on them, all those things, it would have been wrong because God did not intend for children to be raised in an institution. He intended for children to be raised by a loving family and a loving community, and and they missed that. In fact, the Carlisle Indian School in Carlisle, Pennsylvania, uh, was founded by a guy named Richard Pratt, and his motto was to kill the Indian and save the man. In other words, to make us good brown skinned white people so that we can be a part of a productive society. That's that's not no. that, that's not right. That's right. <laughs> wow. And we know that now.
1: Yeah. We know that now. But, but st- that's what you're still fighting we against are. in many ways, isn't and it? And that's
0: that's the that's the the root cause of mm-hmm. the, the the dysfunction because when we were put on the reservations and we were received monthly commodities from the government is essentially a welfare system where we were forced to depend upon the government for all the foods and stuff we have and what we ate and what we lived on. And so now, you know, 100 130 years later, um, we're still bound to the same welfare system that was set up all those many years
1: ago. Charles, um, there, there don't seem to be a lot of people out there like you, people who come from that Native American background, who have become believers in Christ and can help us uh, reach back into Native American culture and, uh, and for kingdom purposes. I was very touched recently that one of your mentors passed away very suddenly. I want you to talk about Richard and tell, introduce us to Richard for those who don't know him. Or he's with the Lord now, but I, I was so touched by your tribute to him that I want you to wow. talk about him. Uh,
0: Richard Twiss is his name. Richard uh, is Lakota, uh, and uh, was a pastor for many years and a, a follower of Jesus, and one of the things that Richard did, well, he had a book called One Church, Many Tribes. And Richard was a frontline guy. One of the things that that he really impressed upon people was uh, that we didn't necessarily need to forego all of our culture of who God created us to be culturally um, to follow Jesus. And one of the examples that he liked to talk about was you take a, a Native American hand drum. It's made of maybe deer hide and cedar, right? It's a drum. You hit a drum, it makes a sound, and you can sing songs to it. But in the church... They say that drum is no good because it's it's worshiping idols, it's calling in these evil spirits, but yet they turn around and have the band playing up there with a set of sure. of you know of a pearl a pearl drum kit that was made in Japan by Buddhists. <laughs> the Buddhist made drum is okay, but the Native American. Oh, drum... you want us to be consistent? I understand. Yeah. <laughs> but Richard um, Richard opened the door uh, and educated so many people around this globe on what it can look like to worship Jesus in a cultural way as the way that God made us to worship him as he made us not as somebody else says we have to worship him
1: mm-hmm.
0: you know and and some of you guys you listeners you you know, you remember the days when they said uh, you mean you're using electric guitars in a church worship <laughs> you know I mean it's not that long ago that that right. was frowned upon yeah and in so, uh, but but Richard uh, is now with Jesus and seeing Jesus face to face, and um, he was a mentor to mine, a dear friend, and uh, I, you know I, I miss my friend.
1: As a husband and a father, what are you doing in your home to celebrate your culture and 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 bring your children up in the nurture and admission of the Lord at the same time?
0: One of the things is just uh, teach, educating our children, asking them, letting them see. What, that, first of all, that it's okay to do some of the things we do dancing in powwows, uh, playing drums, singing these songs. That, that, that's okay. Not only is it okay, it's encouraged. So our kids grow up that that is not taboo, that it's okay. The other thing is um, allowing them to be in community with other people that may not even be native, but that because as you, as you walk with people that are not like you, they begin to ask questions of you. Why does your people do this? Why does your dad wear earrings? Why does your hair, why is his hair long? Why all these things? And then, as they begin to explain it to their friends, they realize they're learning about it themselves. Mm-hmm.
1: It strengthens their inner person, doesn't it? It does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Talk about Jesus as we wrap up today. Well, mm. What is what does he mean in your life? I wake up in the
0: mornings and I take a breath and I just think, but for the grace of God, this is my last breath. If Jesus saw fit to allow me to wake up today, how am I I going to serve him today? What would that look like? You know, Wayne, when I came to know Jesus, the experience was at a Young Life camp up in Colorado. And the gospel was presented to me. And I remember thinking back at that time that as a young kid, I had a basketball coach who my mom could not afford basketball shoes for me. Remember, I had a basketball coach who came and picked me up the morning of our first game. We went to Kmart, paid $7 for a pair of Chuck Taylors, and those were my basketball shoes. And I was so excited to finally have a pair of basketball shoes. And I thought to myself, I'm going to be the best basketball player I can because my coach bought me these shoes. Fast forward to um, 17, 18 years old. I come to hear this story about Jesus, and it sinks in. And I'm thinking, I remembered my coach from when I was a kid, and I thought, if I was willing to be the best basketball player I could because this guy bought me a pair of shoes, if this guy Jesus really died on the cross for my sins, if he really died for Charles, what more can I do? How much more important is that, that I could live for him even more than I played basketball for my coach when I was a kid? And so I'm reminded of that every day. And every day when I t- drop my kids off at school, every morning, we challenge them. I say, oh, how can you be a blessing to somebody today? That night at dinner, we sit around the table. We don't say, hey, how was school today? What'd you learn? We say, we go around the table. How were you a blessing to somebody today? And that's my challenge for them. That's my challenge for myself.
1: I wish we had more time to talk with Charles about the problems facing those in the Native American culture and the solutions the church needs to address to overcome these pressing needs. But we'll have to leave it there today and ask you to visit his ministry, The Red Road, by clicking on FirstPersonInterview.com. Follow the links at FirstPersonInterview.com. There you can read about today's guest and click on The Red Road to learn much more. FirstPersonInterview.com. And then we're also found on Facebook, where you can interact with other listeners and leave comments about what you've heard and offer suggestions for future programs. We're found at facebook.com slash interview. Again, that's facebook.com slash interview. You'll also find our podcast on iTunes and other podcast services when you search for and subscribe to First Person. Look for us on iTunes. Next week, our guest will be the president of World Vision U.S., Rich Stearns, whose new book, Unfinished, is just out. Now, with thanks to my friend and producer, Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepard. See you next week for First Person.